chapter. So we're going to only cover half of it uh, in this session. And then in two weeks, we will finish it up, finish the other half of it. Um, but uh, Patsy, you said you uh, went back and reviewed this lesson and you really pondered over it. Just give us a couple of things that you pondered about from this lesson. Well, you know, I, I pondered when it was talking about the ministers. And I said, in, in my uh, opinion, we have some very good ministers here in St. Louis. So don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's other places they may not be blessed with the Holy Spirit and the ministers we have. But I see our ministers, they have tried to follow what God has asked them to do to lead the flock. But I think too often as the flock, we want ministers to be boxed into what we want them to be. If they don't say what we want them to say, or if they don't do the way we think something should be done at church, we want to attack them and say, well, they're not, they're not good ministers. They're not leading us the way. But that's not what God intended for ministers to do. God intended for them to listen to the Holy Spirit in him and to preach the word. And too often when they preach the word that isn't likable, isn't what we want to hear, we mm. have a tendency as members to say, I'm not going back. Well, that's mm. the time we need to go back because that person mm. is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. So that's what I pondered, you know, that maybe I don't agree with everything a pastor has done or has said, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in that position that God is using that individual. And maybe that individual is being used because God needs to get something across to me. Mm. So that's mm -hmm. what I kind of pondered. Mm -hmm. Well, as we studied this lesson, there's a lot of things in here. Some of the things, some of her, uh, her, um, admonitions are for the ministers themselves and some of the things are for us as the lay people listening to the ministers and so this door in this chapter is swinging both ways and uh you know patsy i have to tell you i pondered some things also in this chapter and uh we'll get to them as we as we go through the chapter we'll get to them and i'll i'll address them uh as we get to them in the chapter but you know <laughs> Jesus is coming back soon. And one of the things that I'm finding out in my prayer life, I'm finding that I pray more, but I'm finding that as I pray more and try to draw closer to the Lord, I feel like I'm even further away from him than I was before. And I, I begin to realize, you know what? There is so much more work that God has to do in me. And, but I want to be ready. I want to be ready when he comes back. And Amen. If, you, if yeah, if you all want to be ready to let's let's just really draw close to the Lord and let him show us the things in our characters that are not like him. And then uh, 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 ask him for the power and the strength to overcome those things. All right. Uh, first paragraph, she's talking about a vision that she was given in December of 1985. And she says she was shown that a most solemn work is before us and we don't realize the importance of it. And Man, she said, 1865. I'm sorry. What did I say? <laughs> what she did I 19. say? Oh, okay. 1865. I'm sorry. I apologize. Thank you for catching me on that leap. And, um, and uh, she said that there was indifference and she was just so alone. The indifference was marked. 
And she was just so alarmed for the ministers and the people. That's why I said the door in this chapter is swinging both ways. She's admonishing the ministers, but she's also admonishing the hearers, the, the, the lay people. And she says in this first paragraph, there's a paralysis upon the cause of present truth. And she said the work of God seems what? Stayed. Stayed. Right. Right. What does that word mean? Stayed. Stuck. Huh? Stuck. 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 Yeah. Okay. Not progressing, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not moving the way that it should move. And she said that ministers and people are unprepared for the time in which they live. Now, again, as we said, we, she, she was writing in 1865. We're living in 2021. Do you think that we're any more ready now than they were in 1865? No. 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 Mm. I what? think we have we have a lot of different methods now through to through technology, but I don't think as far as dedication, there hasn't been that dedication that we need in order to get us home. And that, I'm just not talking about individuals. I'm talking about as a general uh, human human society that God is trying to get ready to come home. Mm. I think one of the things that's the same now, it says uh, present state of worldly ambition, lack of consecration to God and devotion to self. Those are all the things that are causing people to be unfitted. Same now as it was then. I was looking at that uh, date because that was, Civil War had just ended. So that was four years of the Civil War. Well, I could kind of see how people weren't really out and about doing so much ministry work during that time. But nowadays, we don't have the Civil War. We've never had a war in this country since then. But so, what, wait, though, we're we, just coming we off of COVID. We do. So we're just coming off of COVID. So, so a lot of our ministers have felt hampered by the way they have to do ministry now, though. Mm. you know but well, yes i mean oh I mean, go ahead how you feel that because you are appealing to more people now than you would ever appeal to in these churches you think so do you think that that the appeal is to the members or the appeal is to the, the world at large the appeal is always to the world at large whether it's you give it to the members and the members take it out or however but it's always to the world at, at large it should always be but, you know, why? I mean, that's a false, that's a false uh, scenario. In other words, we got this idea that if we don't see people directly in front of us or we sitting in a church, then what we're doing is not important. But if you take a look at how advertising works and how people are for years use television, they didn't come to your house doing anything to get you to buy Crisco oil or whatever but it appealed to millions and millions and millions of people and people picked it up. So, uh, but the issue is consistency maybe, you know, uh, whatever. But I don't think that we, it's necessary to feel that you're stifled. You're actually opened up. I think we're open. Think about hmm. the group here. Look at so, so, so basically we've gone beyond the walls is what you're saying. We're going which way beyond. Which is what God was, has been trying to get us to do anyway. Right, right. Okay. We've gone way beyond the walls. We, I mean, we are wallless and we can appear in any country in right. the, the world. I mean, right. so. Absolutely. You know, so when you Absolutely. think about it, the coronavirus allowed the message to be spread even farther. Mm. It's really a sad thing that had to happen, mm. especially mm. those who have died and 
been sick, but the yeah. are that the message has spread. And when was a time? When was a time in the Bible when the message spread, or what were the what were the the state of circumstances that were going on? The martyrs. When the martyrs, their blood was shedding. Uh, the shed of their blood was causing the message to spread even further and further. You know, people began to think, oh, you know, and folk would go home and say, oh, they got shot, they got killed. These lions tore them to pieces, and people start thinking, why would that? And and start actually doing something about it. But it's you know it's it's an awesome opportunity. And here's a great thing: when you preach in front of people, individuals, and then they go home, that's the end of that sermon. It's out into the world, you know, into the Netherlands. When you preach or do this class online, it's there forever. Mm. It can okay. be forever. Whenever you feel like referring to this particular class on this particular day, Karen, if there's a title on it for uh, Facebook or wherever, all you have to do is put it out there on your Facebook line, check this out and people might people may go and see it. So mm-hmm. it's an opportunity. Title and date, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh, in the Bible when the Christians began to be persecuted. And so uh, you're right, there were a lot of them that were killed, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about when they scattered. Yes. And when they scattered, they went to distant lands and they took the message, the gospel, the good news message with them to those distant lands. And so in our particular case with COVID, because knowledge has increased and because we're able to be here in, in St. Louis, but also anywhere in the world through this uh, means of media, then it's basically doing the same thing. We are, we are, have been subject to I guess I'm, I'm going to say um, we have been held hostage by this COVID-19, but at the same time, as you said, it's been a blessing because now we are, everything is virtual and we can just send it wherever. Been held hostage and yet freed at the same time. Amen. Amen. You can think about it like this too. I know you just see the tip of my head, but you can think about <laughs> it like this is that, uh, we have been held hostage before COVID-19 because we have been limited in our ability to expose the message of God, you know, to door to door. I mean, we've really been very limited in what we could do because access to this multiple group of people, this huge number of people was for the rich. You know, they had, they could get television hours and pay for a lot of radio advertising hours, but we couldn't. This is free. And then mm. it's free that we're able to do this online. And this gospel shall be what? In all the world. Reached to all the world. And then the end will come. He will he will come, of course. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, class. (laughs) So um, all right. So she's saying that um in the present state of worldly ambition, which we can bring that forward, uh what? Hundred and let me see, what is this, 140, 50, 60 years, 160 years or so. Mm-hmm. And we're still in this present state of worldly ambition. You know, with COVID, you know, you see people so just they're beside themselves. They want to get back to the way things were, you know? And back, and, to, and, the, back to the same way that they used to complain about. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but they want to get back care- to it. But you know, Sister Karen, even if we got back to the way it was, I'm just saying hypothetically, 
when we when I looked around church, there were so many empty pews. I mean, people decide. I mean, like today, the rain. I can I can see some of our members saying it's raining, so I stayed at home in the bed. So I mean, like you know, you're talking about the way it was, but would you even change if you went back to the way it was? That's the, that, that doesn't make sense to me. You still would probably be doing the same thing, making excuses yep. on why you're not going to church. Yeah. Well, you know, I, go I, back. Go ahead, I mean. They want to go back to the way it was, but it was the same old, same old, and they're comfortable in that. They're stuck in that same old, same old. And you know what? God doesn't want us in those comfort zones anymore because Jesus is getting ready to come back. And, he, you know, God is getting ready to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. And so he's getting us ready for that outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And COVID was just one of those things. You know, I tell people, you know, if you are antsy, antsy about having to be, um, shelter at home during COVID, what you're going to do when there's no home for you to shelter in and you got to go into a ditch or a cave or something like that. And you don't have your cell phone and you don't have your TV. You can have your cell phone and TV. You will have your cell phone and TV. You won't be able to connect it. (laughs) Well, that, that you may not have it because you may have run and not taken that stuff with you. I think uh, a lot of people want to get back to what they say normal, but there's not even really a such thing as normal because we're always changing each and every day. There's something different about your life every single day, even if, even if it's just a date on the calendar. But people do like that comfortableness. You know, you've gotten used to, to doing things a certain way. Well, I think this was a good opportunity for all of us to kind of wake up and be shaken up and say, you know what, we need to be spreading this word. You know, and like Lakita pointed out, it's a free access pretty much to the whole world, you know, by Zoom or by Skype or by YouTube or Instagram, all that stuff. Absolutely. That's just a way to spread the message. We shouldn't look at it and say, oh, that's the devil's work. He using it to do this. How can we use it for God's work? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I went to three different churches myself today. (laughs) So God is good. Uh, So again, in this uh, first paragraph, she's saying that because of these things, worldly ambition, lack of consecration, devotion to self, many are wholly unfitted to receive the latter rain. And having done all to stand against the wrath of Satan, who by his inventions will cause them to make shipwreck of faith, fastening upon them some pleasing self-deception. Just very quickly, very briefly, somebody tell me what the latter rain is for those who may be listening and don't know. It's going out the Holy Spirit in the later days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you going to say, Lakita? Uh, just what Alvina said is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to uh, help us complete the work, to finish the work of, of the gospel, spreading the gospel. Okay, okay. Uh, have you ever had conversations with people who think they are right and they are just flat out wrong? You ever, you ever know people like that? Yeah, myself sometimes. <laughs> and you know what? So the next paragraph says ministers and people must make greater advancement in the work of reform and they should commence without delay to correct their wrong habits of what? Uh, Wrong habits of eating, drinking, dressing, and working. Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. What about that? Pretty much everything. So we're wrong in how we eat, wrong in how we're drinking, wrong in how we're dressing and wrong in how we're working. And she, she addresses a couple of these in this particular 
chapter, I mean, she's addressed the, 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 the wrongness of dress in other chapters, which we've dealt with that about three, three different times already. Um, and being, uh, she's gonna be addressing working in this chapter. Um, and uh, she said that the result is that some can show but little fruit of their labors and ministers should be examples to the flock of God, but they are not safe from Satan's temptations. And they are particularly the very ones that Satan sneaks to, I'm sorry, seeks to snare. And why do you think Satan sneaks, I'm, I'm saying this, seeks to snare them more than others? Because, because those are to spread the word if, it, if they don't get to spread the word truthfully and faithfully then the work of god is just started will not be done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if he's mm -hmm. the under shepherd and he is ensnared where do you think he's going to lead his flock right i was going to say because he goes after leaders because leaders lead other people so it's mm -hmm. kind of like i can go to one person individually or i can go to a person who influences 20 or 30 people. Well, if mm -hmm. I can influence the one with 20 or 30 under them, then I'm going to get off a lot better. We were watching this uh, documentary about multi-level marketing, and that's how that works. If you sell all the products yourself, it's not going to be very good. But if you can get 20 or 30 under you to sell, then you can do good. So with the devil, he can get one at a time, or he can get one who's leading 20 or 30 others and just mm -hmm. cover a lot more ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And see, you have, you have a lot of people that won't read for themselves. So they'll say, the pastor says. So the devil realizes if I can get the ministers, and these people are not going to read for themselves, they're going to listen to whatever the minister says on that pulpit because they, they are too lazy to, to study and, and show themselves approved. So he's going to try to you know, get the ministers to be deceived and therefore, whatever they tell the people, the people's going to believe if they're not trying to follow the Holy Spirit in God. Which is why a lot of people end up falling out of church because they're too busy, like you said, Patsy, looking at the minister instead of Christ. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when people are looking at you as the leader and you sin, then they say, well, this here is just a bunch of lies. You know, he's doing this and telling us not to do it. And then they fall aside and they don't look, uh, listen to the Lord's voice, uh, which is the problem in the first place. So if the devil can bring down a minister, he affects a lot of people. Like even with the Catholic church scandal, there's a lot of Catholic people who lost faith, not just in the priest, but in God. And mm -hmm. then a lot of different TV preachers getting in trouble that the people not only lost faith in the minister, but also in God. So the devil's doing it on purpose because he knows people are looking at ministers instead of God. And when the minister falls, that person's faith in God falls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's move down to the next uh, paragraph for 67.1. And uh, she's talking about how ministers are failing to take hold of the work with the energy and devotion and perseverance that the work demands. As she said, 
they have a vigilant adversary to contend with whose diligence and perseverance is untiring. So the enemy's diligence and perseverance is untiring. And she said the feeble efforts of ministers and people can bear no comparison with those of the advers our adversary, the devil. On the one side are the ministers who battle for the right and have held the help of God and holy angels. She said they should be strong and valiant and wholly devoted to the cause in which they're engaged, having no separate interest. They should not be entangled with the things of this life, but they may please him who have chosen them to be social. So, so what is she saying there about the ministers and their work? You know what, Kim? The ministers, they must be uh, committed to doing what God says, not man, and, and be more, more diligent to, you know, ask God for help and the angels and stuff because the devil is looking at them too, trying to attack them. But those, those ministers that are faithful to God, God will send them help and will send them angels to cover them, to keep them, you know, uh, in his care. Okay. What is she saying about the job of ministers? Can they have a day job and a, a night job or weekend job and a weekday job, different weekday job? No, she's saying that they no. They need to be single-minded. You know, when you think about, uh, I know Jesus and the people in the Bible, but I also sometimes think about Ellen G. White. Everything she did, everything she did was to follow God and to, to uh, you know, press forward with the word of God, you know, just to do what God told her to do. And I don't think we really understand what, it, what God is asking us when he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, that everything... Mm to be most important is God's stuff. And a lot of times his stuff is So let me ask you a question. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, right? He was a carpenter by trade, right? Mm -hmm. So when he began his actual ministry on this earth, he was baptized and he began his ministry. Did he continue to work as a carpenter? I don't think so. I don't think he did. He was busy. Uh, he was, I mean, Jesus was really, really busy. And I was reading where... Um, Jesus was in the boat and he was getting trying to get some place where he can get some rest because he had been ministering, ministering, ministering. And then when he got to the place where he was going, there was a group of people there. But he didn't say, Oh, it's my time, it's my day off, and you know, my family lifetime or whatever. He said, you know, let me minister to the people. He went ahead and ministered to them in spite of what he was feeling and experiencing. And I think that's what God is calling us into when we say we're going to be Christians. That's that's the life you want us to have. And well, I me, think in our, in our previous lesson, they talked about the work of the of, of a minister that he don't he takes time to get some relaxation and some rest. Yeah, he needs to take time and get relaxation and rest, but he also needs to know that, you know, the calling upon him is, I, I'm going to say this, I had a pastor one time told Lee and I, he said, you all know what the pastor look sees when he see you all. And we said, what? He said, they, they see you all as problems. Really? Really? So, I mean, when, it, when you talk about God having a calling, Sister White says that um, men and women who will spend and be spent, who will go that extra miles. Yeah, you should get your rest. It should not be you no know, 24 hours, seven days a week. But at the same time, there are going to be times when, you know, this person has this crisis. You haven't seen this person at church for a few days. And you're going to go beyond your, you know, your set time 
for work, you know, for, for your work hours, you know, it's not an eight to five job is what I'm saying. And it, right. I, so I what agree comes with you, to mind is that the, the devotion to it should be single-minded, but not the physical labor should not be without breaks and without taking time to rest and recuperate. Right. Yes. Right. Because they're human too. Right, but Absolutely. I will say this to you. If you think about a person who's starting a business or even, you know, an attorney. I mean, these people work a lot, a lot of hours and a lot of time. And if these, and I'm not saying, I completely agree with you guys, but I'm thinking all, all of our commitment and especially their commitment has to be about being available and willing at any moment at any time. One of the things it says in that uh, paragraph 467.2, towards the bottom, it says, some ministers have their minds too much on the wages they receive. They labor for wages and lose sight of the sacredness and importance of the work. So it's a matter of where is your first love? Are you still focused on God's work or are you more focused on making money so you can live in a fancy house? Because Peter or Paul, he still made. And when Christ was uh, crucified, the disciples went back to fishing. It's not that they did other things. It's that they didn't lose sight of the work. So sometimes our ministers do have uh, other jobs. Sometimes their spouses may have jobs. But the thing that should always come first is the work of God. He's called you to that. Uh, that's where your first love should be. Sometimes the ministers... And Say, well, I don't want, uh, they might get moved to another area. And some ministers have said, no, I'm not going to move because my spouse has a really good job. Well, okay, mm -hmm. now that's kind of you focusing more on wages than on what God has called you to do. Is mm -hmm. that type oh. of you can keep God's work first, then, you know, that's the main thing. All this, and I, like I'm going to be honest, it will be added to you. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I said I think I've no I've I know from the past we had a minister at our at at the church, and different members was going to him with problems. And his thing was, well, I'm too busy right now, and I'm trying to write my book. You know, even though he didn't verbally say it, but you know, different ones that were saying with their problems, they was like, the pastor's not gonna do nothing about it. And then you know, people just started saying. I, I'm, I'm tired of being harassed. I'm tired of, you know, this going on. And I'm telling him this is happening. And his whole focus was on he didn't have the time to listen to human needs because he was in the middle of getting his book published. And therefore, then they wonder why people started dropping off and not coming back. And his whole thing was not focused on the need of, of, of people at uh, certain people at the church. It was more focused on I got to get this book written. And I thought, well, you know, he was looking for, like you said, to, to make sure he had wages to be able to help his family. But in the meantime, there was members that needed him. And we just felt like since we didn't, you know, we weren't in the upper class or in the little cliques, we weren't important. Well, that's a good example. And I know we've all have seen and heard other examples just like that. The focus as a called minister, your focus should stay on the people of God, on the word of God, on the work of God, first mm -hmm. and foremost. 
And that's true. That is so true. Um, <clears throat> let's go back to this uh, same paragraph. Lee, I'm going to go up a little bit from where you were reading. And um, she's talking about the selfishness, hypocrisy, and every species of, de of deception that Satan uses. And he closed with a garment of apparent truth and righteousness and triumphs and his success, even with the ministers and people who profess to understand his wiles. And so the greater the distance they keep from Christ, their great leader, the less they are like him in character. And the more close is their resemblance in life and character to the servants of their great adversary. And the more sure he is of them at last, while they profess to be servants of Christ, they are really servants of sin. And so, you know, <laughs> now, Patsy, you started off saying we, we know some really great ministers, you know, but then we've seen some in the news that were not of the Adventist faith necessarily, but they, they fell from grace because of the things that they were doing in their congregations or behind the scenes in their private lives. And so, and, and, and Satan exults when he is able to get the under shepherd to, to um, draw away from Christ and draw near to him and be mm -hmm. concerned about, as you were saying, Lee, the wages that they receive, basically how much money comes in to the church. And see, that's a, that I, when I said I pondered some things because I said, you know, you do have ministers that, you know, of, of course, we as flocks, we go out and we witness to people. And, you know, some people come in and they get baptized. And then we see, you know, we see they get they get baptized and we're like, OK, we're supposed to as the flock, as well as the ministers should be continuing to work with those people. But it's like once they come in, we got their money. And there's no need to, you know, to keep to keep trying to, you know, work with them. And they just vanish. I mean, you just see, you look around and you say, now, didn't that person get baptized about three months ago? Where they at? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that we as a con church congregation have to deal with openly and honestly, because a lot of times, you know, that the, our commission is to teach, baptize and teach. And very often what we do is we baptize and drop them off. <laughs> so like they care, like they care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But sometimes can't. Or, can. uh, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, when I was in Atlanta at one point, <laughs> they have a, they have a kiss and drop lane. Or something like that. Now, a lot of people don't get mad at me. It's it maybe kiss and ride or something. But anyway, you kiss your spouse and drop them off. <laughs> yeah. um, some I I'm thinking the two. If you ever go through the um, those evangelistic meetings, you know a lot of pomp and circumstance. You know people greeting you, being very nice to you, blah blah blah. But then you put them in the church environment. And I'm thinking the switch from that, you know, high touch, high interest environment to, you know, you're gonna be treated like every other Christian in this in the thing. So in, in the church. So maybe it's not necessarily the message, but maybe we need to interact with each other in the in in eternal or everyday, every week evangelistic mode where we have high touch, high consideration, high interest in each other. 
And then when a new person comes in, that's just the environment. It's not fake, it's not forced. No one's making us, no one instructed us, but that's just the way we are. Because I think when you make that switch to you just sitting on this pew, don't nobody speak to you, et cetera, et cetera, then people, it's a big jump. It's a real big jump. Hmm. That's a good one. What were we saying, Patsy? I said that, that I never thought of it that way. That was a, a good analysis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of jump down in between two paragraphs, paragraph 467.3 and 467.4. And uh, at the top of 467.4, she says that before the work of God can make any decided progress, the ministers must be converted. And then I'm gonna jump back to the top of 467.3, where she says they become they have become slack and negligent in their labor. And they basically, they basically, I guess, pass over the ground, they say what they have to say. But their efforts are, they're weak and unsuccessful in their efforts because their hearts are not in the work. And so they need, their, their hearts need to be converted so that um, the influence that they have on others is a t- more telling influence. You know, Alvina, uh, very often you ask us to pray for the people that you are witnessing to. Yeah. And very often in our own families, we don't see the devotion to Christ that we would like to see. Well, maybe it's because our own hearts are not converted. I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not saying, speaking of anyone in particular, but maybe because our own hearts are not converted and they don't see Christ in us. And because, because they know us the best. They know the ones that live in the same household or came out of the same household with us, they know us the best. And maybe it's because they don't see Christ in us. And so therefore, our influence on them is not a telling influence for righteousness. Any comments? Well, that's possible, uh, Karen. But it's also possible that uh, the Bible says a prophet is not known in his own land. So sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how righteous you are in front of your family members. What they think and remember about you is that either you their little sister, you're not going to tell them what to do, or you their older sister, you ain't always been in church. So it doesn't matter, you know, it's kind of like a, a catch 22, a lot when you talk about uh, ministering to your own individuals, your own family members, but we always can pray for them, always mm-hmm. can pray. And I think that will make the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I was gonna add too that everyone has, God has given all of us a measure of faith and that faith has to be exercised in order for us to accept Christ and be saved. And that's an individual thing. So no matter what kind of witness you give or what type of witness you are, each individual has to make that decision for themselves. Uh, Think about Christ. He walked around multitudes of people. Not everybody accepted him. But those those who exercised their faith did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you were saying, Lakita, uh, they wanted to throw him over a cliff in his own town. (laughs) So... Mm -hmm. You're you're, you're right about that. Yeah, Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus was with his people. You know, he had, they were so, well, his people hung him, hung him from the cross. So, you know, it's not, we can, we can beat ourselves over the head and say, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I, I made this mistake in front of my cousin, brother, whoever. And, you know, they could, they'll use it as an excuse too. Well, you did this and you did that. Ultimately, 
the spirit of God dwells in them and they got to make a choice for themselves. You know, in, in spite of what they see in me or you, we only do our best that we can. And they can pick out the good. They can pick out, well, you know, she used to cuss me out every week and now she's only doing it like once a month. So <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that the Lord is working with her. Uh, and also when people are newly baptized and they don't come back, they shouldn't blame that on the minister. I think if they made a choice, you know, it's within them. They decide to leave that choice and do something else. Okay, no, but I, I mean, I'm not saying they're blaming the minister. I'm saying that, they're, like just, she said, there ought to still be some kind of contact with humans to let them know, we, you know, even though you're baptized now, we're still there to help, you know, you guide and let the Holy Spirit lead us to help you in case you're falling into areas where you don't understand, even though you've been baptized. And I said, and I think that's the thing, the disconnection that they feel, because it's like, okay, I'm baptized. I'm returning my tithe and offering, but then they feel like nobody cares about anything now that I'm baptized and I'm returning tithe and offering. I just wanted to look at another side of it. I want to attack on what you said. Just know that, okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, down at the bottom of 468.1, she talks about... Um, the ministers throwing their entire energies into the cause of God. And uh, so much so, they've invested so much in it that it becomes a part of them. And she says, then they won't labor merely for wages. They won't be just eye servants seeking to please themselves, but they will consecrate themselves and all their interests to the solemn work. And um, then at the top of the next paragraph, she said, the dangers of making mistakes from a, there's some in public labors who are in danger of making mistakes from a lack of what? Thoroughness. Thoroughness, right. And she said it's for their own interest and that of the cause that they should search closely, try their own motives and be certain to divest themselves of selfishness. And they should watch lest while they preach straight truth to others, they fail to live by the same rules and allow Satan to substitute something else for the deep heart work. They should be thorough with themselves, meaning what? searching their own hearts and making sure that they have uh, allowed Christ to come into their own hearts and reform their own sinful habits, practice patterns, practices, patterns, beliefs, desires. Um, and then uh, at that point, they should not let, she said, they should not let, let self rule instead of Jesus. And they should be careful not to say to the sinner in Zion, it shall be well with thee when God has pronounced a curse upon him. You know, that reminds me of a lot of these um, preachers on television, some of these mega churches. And they don't, they, they pretty much uh, preach a, a pleasing message to people. You know, I don't hear too much them preaching about sin. I hear pleasing messages most of the time. And you know what? She's <laughs> talking about here, the, the money that's coming in, a lot of these churches, you know, these mega churches, you know, they want that money to continue coming in. And as one of you all said at the beginning, oh, maybe it was you, Patsy, people don't want to hear what's wrong with them. They want to hear what's right with them. And so a lot of these pastors, they know that these ministers know that and they know that they better keep preaching messages that really don't offend people, so to speak, don't offend their, their sense of what's right and wrong or their own practices in their lives. 
And so it's got to be a balance with that because from my experience, you know, you're already getting your, your butt kicked all week long, all week. And then you come to church and you hear kind of pretty much more the same about yourself. You know, you're hearing, you know, all the stuff that you're not doing right, which you already know because you've heard it all week from somebody, someplace, you know. Or, and then there's just so little, sometimes, not all the time, so little encouragement to do better. You know, Sister White talks about if people talked about <clears throat> the love of Jesus, then, you know, if they would make that the central thing, um, theme, then there would be <clears throat> 99 baptism where there is now one. People mm. really need some hope out there. One of the greatest things that mental health issues at this point is this anxiety, this fear. You know, uh, people are feeling, at least the ones that I'm talking to, that, you know, they're not good enough, that they're not smart enough, you know, that something's not right with them. They're not enough of whatever it is they think they're just supposed to be. So that, that it has to be a balance, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, encouragement. It, it at the same time that there is uh, admonishment. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like um, I was reading about like if you say one negative thing to a person, it takes five positive things to make up for that one negative thing in the person's mm-hmm. mind. When you're thinking about disciplining children and even standing up in front of people. So if you're going to say, you know, people are, you know, um, sinners and, and maybe backstabbers, blah, blah, blah. Then what about the five good things you got, you have to say about these people, you know, even though, you know, you work hard to, to be kind to other people, you are, what about that? Why, why not try to, even this thing out, even, even if it's your backstabber, but God, can save backstabbers. You know, God loves backstabbers. God provides for backstabbers. What about that? And you know, Lakita, we they gave a mission story over at the Alton SDA church, and it was about a young lady whose daddy had told her she was ugly. Mm-hmm. And it and he told her that when she was young. So by the time she got to 17, at age 17, she she says that, you know, I guess she, you know, had been trying to ask I guess her friends had been trying to introduce her to Christ and she had to become to the point where she had to ignore that in order for her to prosper in that and to understand that God loved her because her dad had always told her she was ugly. Right. So you, I think it's so right. You know, she, she was living out what she was told and never was told that God loved her and she was in the image of God. But as a father telling a child that it stuck with her. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the same thing when you when um when we're in church, then the people sitting on those church is that woman, is me, is you, is people who have gone through some type of uh, horrible experiences, low self esteem, low self confidence, you know, and low trust in God. They can't trust in God because of their father, you know. In this case, it was a father, but people who don't have fathers and have these terrible relationship with father, then we we just carelessly and and thoughtlessly say, trust in the Father of Heaven, because they their experience with fathers haven't been good. And we are not spending any time, you know, painting a beautiful picture of our love, our lovely Savior, Jesus Christ. 
it's hard for people to understand what love, that type of love in this mean, harsh world. When people get up in front of the pulpit and they say stuff like, are you happy? And then a few people will mumble yes. Then they say, well, notify your face because y'all look like savage. Mm. Mm. Really? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I am sad. I'm the depressed person. I'm the person who have, who suffer from anxiety. And I don't feel like smiling because you said it. You know, give me something to smile about. One of the things uh, is uh, Sister White writes that Jesus never, never needlessly insulted or censored people, but he always spoke the truth in love. And the scripture says that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So there does definitely need to be a lot more love being shown one to another, as well as to those whom we're trying to reach. Um, Lakita has always said that you can, as a therapist, you can tell a person anything you want to tell them. It just depends on how you do it. So when we're talking about ministers or preachers, you can say anything to the to the uh, membership or the audience or whoever's listening. Just depends on how you say it. You can point out sin without just knocking people upside the head all the time. Uh, there's there was always a group of uh, member uh, members and pastors who would who who would preach fire and brimstone and who would love fire and brimstone. Some people liked it. Others were repelled by it. Then there's always pastors who seem to be more positive with what they say. Both types can work for the glory of God, but again, it depends on the audience and, and, and who you're talking to and how you say it. Christ was different with his audiences because he knew these people's hearts. He knew what they needed and he understood their situation. Uh, as it says about the ministers, uh, as well as members, we have to become more spiritually alert to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and then do our best to surrender to his leading so that our words, actions, and deeds exemplify the love of Christ to everyone that we meet. Okay. That's a good point, Lee. That's a very good point. Um, let's see. Um, and she, we're, we're at the bottom of 469.1. She says that um, because the people are overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, she said they're entering into a deeper and deeper spirit of worldly enterprise. They are ambitious to get gain. Spirituality and devotion are rare. And the spirit that prevails is to work, to accumulate, and to add to that which they already possess. What will be the end of all these things? That reminds me of a, 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 a I, don't, I don't remember what I was reading, but it was something in the spirit of prophecy talking about how there are so many people that are seeking for an earthly crown and they're seeking to just gain, 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 gain things on this earth. But then there are those that are seeking for a heavenly crown. And she said there were much fewer seeking for a heavenly crown than for an earthly crown. But then she said there will be those who in the, uh, in the, in the last hour, they will realize that there's the earth, there's nothing on this earth that is more important than a heavenly crown, and they will run past those that are seeking for an earthly crown to get to that heavenly crown. Those are those 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 uh, what eleventh hour Christians or or what was what we call them? Those that are going to come in uh, in the last hour. 
whereas there will be many who have been in for years and most of their lives and they're going to fall away. Mm-mm-mm. Well, the world's caught up with materialism and gaining money, and but it's like the parable Jesus said uh, was in the Bible about the guy. He said, oh, I got so much stuff. I need to build bigger barns and bigger warehouses for all my stuff. And he mm-hmm. said, what's going to happen to all that stuff when you die? Mm-hmm. It's all going to burn up. So what's right. the point of it? You know, mm-hmm. the only thing that really matters is Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, then down in the next paragraph, 469.2, she's talking about conference meetings. And she said they have accomplished no lasting good because of why? Because they carry a spirit of traffic with them. Meaning what? What does that mean? Buying and selling and, you know, uh, not fellowshipping, but just um, networking. Let's put it like networking. Mm. <laughs> Mm, yeah yeah have you ever been to meetings and things and right at sunset all these tables are out to sell stuff and (laughs) and uh you know different things i mean even when the general conference was here at sunset they had a whole big old hall you know of stuff that you could go in and buy and um i don't know that she's necessarily speaking to that that particular thing that 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 goes on like at the general conference and 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 even at some of our uh when we have camp meetings and you know after sunset there's a lot of stuff for sale after sunset and that kind of thing yeah i don't Um, think it's something after sunset but yeah it's after sunset the thing specifically is is that your whole intent for going are Mm -hmm. you just there simply to sell stuff or are Mm -hmm. you there to hear a word from the lord and see which direction the lord is leading Mm-hmm. And she says in there, she says, ministers and people frequently bring their merchandise to these large gatherings and the truth spoken from the pulpit failed to impress the heart. And, and like you just said, Lee, it's the reason why you're there. Are you there because you can't wait for sunset to sell your wares? Or are you there because you're truly drawn to, um, you know, the, the proceedings and the, and, and, and the opportunity to hear the word of Christ spoken from the pulpit? Yeah. And, you know, we've had occasion where a, a pastor or a minister would come in or a speaker and, you know, they have to hurry up and catch a plane home or something. And they would start mm-hmm. selling stuff before sunset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the whole point is that once you um, once you say, yes, you can sell or they're going to be a sale, it's pretty hard to keep your mind on track during the Sabbath, you know, because you're thinking about, OK, I got to make sure I have this. And if that I always wondered. How is the house, you know, those places already set up right at, at Sabbath closing? Then, you know, you, you would spend a good hour setting up, pulling the tables out, putting up the signs, putting everything out on your table. You know, it would take time to get that set up. So it, it's encroaching on the Sabbath. In, in, mm. I think they set up on Fridays before the Sabbath because I've seen them cover it up. And, put, and, you know, and they have different ones that will say, don't go near this table until after the Sabbath. But I think they set it up before the Sabbath on Friday and they cover it up until <laughs> at, until until the until sunset. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, I think they do both. Patsy. <laughs> I think there's some that set it up so that when you're walking out of the out of the meeting there, the stuff is right there and it wasn't there before. 
Yeah, because as soon as the pastor says the benediction, people head home. So you want to catch them before mm-hmm. they leave home because they're yeah. not coming back. You know, yeah. but the truth is, uh, like Patsy was saying, it's best to set it up before the Sabbath begins. Then it's there and ready. And But the truth is, there's a lot of times where you'll see people out there while the minister's speaking, they busy setting up tables and stuff. And that's what she's talking about is where is your intent? Why are you there? Mm-hmm. Is it just right. say, or are you mm-hmm. trying to hear a word from the Lord? Right. Mm-hmm. It goes for the pastor or the speaker too. Are you right. there to preach the word of God? Or are you just there to sell your latest CD? Right. Well, see, I think I was thinking in terms of when I went to uh, 3ABM, they have a conference they do in June and then they do another one in September. And even even when Sabbath is, is, is still not over, those tables are still covered up. And then when the Sabbath end, you'll see people start taking it off. Then you're able to see, you know, what was on those tables. So I was just I was just thinking that, that I thought that's what everybody did. No, it'd be nice if that happened all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, let me see, let me get back to. So she, in the next paragraph, she talks about um, how ministers have to be converted before they can attempt to, to convert uh, or preach, preach the word themselves. And she said a reformation is needed among the people, but it should first begin its purifying work with the ministers. And then at the top of the next paragraph, she says, one important work of the ministry is to faithfully present to the people the health reform as it stands connected with the third angel's message as part and parcel of the same work. Um, you know, quite honestly, I really don't hear the health reform message spoken of that often from the pulpit. Not for well, you know, this, this past week, I had to talk to Keisha because her husband, um, uh, uh, I we were I was asked the question had what had changed since I became you know in the church at Northside and I said I had never seen a Sabbath where we served real meat mm-hmm. and we had real chicken in April on we we were on a parking lot and I said I had never seen it done as far as a Sabbath meal and mm-hmm. so when they brought mine to my car I said I'm going to need a vegetarian meal and then the sister said Sister Harper. There ain't no vegetarian meat. It's all chicken. Either you want the and so she. I had some napkins, and she said, "You don't eat meat." I said, "No." She said, "Can I have yours?" So I wrapped it up and gave her the the meat. But I, I, I and I, I, you know, I tried to explain to Keisha. I said I wasn't putting Tim or Elder Ben down for you know the meat. I just have never seen it done as a Sabbath meal. And there was no, you know, I thought maybe we had veggie dogs or something for some of us that were vegetarians because they didn't tell us ahead of time. But my thing was, I said, and as we witness to people and we doing little Bible studies with people, I questioned, I said, do I still tell them that the original diet of Christ, you know, should, you know, try to follow that if you can. And they was like, yo, you still tell the message to Christ. I said, but then we served real meat, I said, on the Sabbath. So I was just, you know, and I said, I'm sure, you know, the pastor had to approve it, but I had just never seen it done as a Sabbath meal, real meat. I just hadn't. Now, Patsy, if you're going to get stoned, then you go ahead and tell us. <laughs> but I was, you know what? I get the health message from Netflix. That's right. 
<laughs> That's where you're going to find them talking about having those documentaries on healthy eating and clean and uh, the, the state of the foods and stuff. You are not. More you're going to find like, it in the pulpit. <laughs> you will not. I mean, we used to have someone would say to us that God gave him victory over vegetarianism. Mm. Now, I'm not going to, mean, there's a whole bunch <laughs> I can say behind that, but I'm not going to. Yes, say, there is. The, for the love of Christ constrains me by the grace of God, help me to keep my mouth closed. But, <laughs> you know, uh, if you want to hear it, yeah, we're not hearing it. We're not hearing it from each other. And then, yeah, Avina, it is clean meat. But uh, even, and the issue is not necessarily that you eat meat or don't eat meat. The issue is that the animals are going to be sick. And we, who are supposed to be model citizens for the Lord, could sidestep some of this illness ourselves if we would follow the health message. Because she's saying we will get the same diseases. And if folk can't wake up and see the coronavirus and say she is true and just and right, let me do some things to, to change some stuff up here. I don't know what it's going to take to wake people up. Well, see, I was just—I was just saying because as we go further along, giving Bible studies with the with the uh, and I use the amazing facts. It does talk about the original diet, and I was like, do we still teach people, you know, and show them in the Word that the original diet was, you know, the berries and all, and the fruits, and and I said so. It kind of threw me off, and I said, I, and I just asked. I said, are our Advent is still teaching? about the original diet and they was like well when you get to that part and you're working with that person you still give them what does said the lord and then you know let them know there are clean meats and stuff and i'm like alveda there was clean meat chicken was but my still i'm like it's it's one thing to go by what the lord says even though like you said i'm trying to get to being a vegan and i'm working at it and the holy spirit working with me but i just said i would rather teach what does said the lord then to have that person say, well, you didn't tell me it's okay to do such and such and such and such. But I just wanted them to know that the original diet of what Christ had for Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. one, of th one of the things it says in that paragraph you read, Karen, 469.3, the ministers must be converted before they can strengthen their brethren. So if your minister enjoys eating meat and has no, no plans to change, and doesn't care about the health message, then they're not going to preach about it. Even if they know us, if they know us right, then they might talk about it, but they're not going to make a big push because they have, they're struggling with it now just as much. So, same way with, if you have a, I, I won't say any particular minister, but in general, if you have a person who is committing sin, they're not going to preach on that sin. They're going to, mm -hmm. And you'll be mm -hmm. wondering, how come he never preaches on this? Or how come she never talks about that? It's because we're going to be like, bring that up because that's a struggle they have. Now, one of the things, too, uh, if the minister is not converted and doesn't care about the health message, you're not going to hear it. And it's just going to cause the membership to think it's not important. Mm -hmm. But when we say okay. we trust God, we believe his word, that includes his prophets and the prophets continually talking to us about better health habits, better uh, health uh, in the way we dress and the things that we do, the things that we eat or drink. So you, you would want to preach on that also if you truly believe. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you this, Patsy, and I believe this is true uh, for, from what I recall, if you look in the church policy, 
There's not supposed to be flesh meat cooked at the church. And let me tell well, you. Well, they said because it was outside, a lot of people, you know, didn't see anything wrong. But I was always taught that the parking lot was also part of the church, so that was holy ground. I'm just saying that's what I was taught when I first came in. And let me well, say this too, too, is this. Why do we want to do the least we can possibly do for God? Why is it, you know, well, we're not in the church, you know, so it doesn't matter. Why are we doing the absolute least? That, that's you know what, what that makes me think about is um, when the children of Israel were taken out of captivity, but yet they lusted for the leeks and the mm. garlic and the onions in Egypt. So, so, so Patsy, the minute you get outside the church doors onto the park and oh, we can have meat now. Oh, we can have meat now. <laughs> but we are, we are the church. Wherever we go, that's the church. Well, yeah, the church is true. a lot of members eat meat and that's okay, but we all have to be looking for a higher calling. Like Lakita's saying, don't right. do the least for God, do the most for God. Hey, right. I want to tell you guys something. Um, What's his name? Joel, Joel, what's his name? The one with the mega church, Joel. Osteen. Mm -hmm. Joel Osteen. Mm -hmm. Joel Osteen read the Bible, came up with, we supposed to have nutrition, better nutrition, and began to eat better. You know, got off certain meats and got off certain foods, right? Mm -hmm. Then he didn't just keep it to himself. He got up there in that pulpit. And then mm -hmm. people in his church started getting off of these foods, you know? And it's just like, okay, so we're saying, well, it's not what you say. I bet you Joel Osteen put that thing out there, that diet out there, as if it was positive. People hate him because he's positive. Not talking, dragging him through the ground with this sin thing. You know, he speaks about it, but he's not talking about it the way we're used to hearing it. You know, he still comes back with, you know, you may have a bad tendency. You may have the bad habit, but God can save you. God can do this and that. So, you know, but I, I saw that. I'm like, look at this man. Before you know, he's going to be stepped over into the Sabbath. All those people are going to be following him. And we <laughs> will still be saying, you know, he ain't speaking the truth. Well, I'm, you can be certain that he already knows about the Sabbath. I'm sure he, I'm sure mm. he does. But when God, well, if he chooses, when God decides to bring him into the truth, and if he steps into the truth, he's going to deliver that message in such a way that people will follow him right into it. You know, we mm -hmm. deliver these messages in such a way as it's a burden, it's a problem. I was looking at something on Netflix uh, for Jewish people and the way they talked about the Sabbath, and I think they call it Shabbat or something like that. The way they talked about it, I was like, we supposed to be getting all that off the Sabbath. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, yes, people are spreading our health messages and they're not Adventists, but I'm yeah. like, that's our health message if you listen to it or what they're telling. I mean, you know, you see it on TV. Feed your kids more fruits and vegetables. Not the, the Adventists, we have always preached that. Yeah. Yeah, but we haven't always done it. You know, we don't teach. We're, yeah. We're not. We're at, I have heard somebody say to me, how valuable can the word, well, I'm going to say, uh, how can a person who was born back in the 1800s tell you how to raise your children today. Well, if you don't read the book Child Guidance and pray and study the Bible, you're not going to figure it out or find it out because the message is there and her what she's teaching you is right, correct. You can follow these, I'm, I hate to say it, psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists if you choose to, but I think you do better with just following the word of God. I, I just believe that. Plain thus saith the Lord goes a lot farther than anything Man can never think up. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Okay, uh, I'm going to do this last paragraph, 470.1. We're going to cover that, and then we're going to stop for today and pick it back up uh, in two weeks, this chapter back up in two weeks. Uh, but at the top of 470.1, she talks about ministers, and she talks about them not having any work aside from the work of leading souls to the truth. And she says they should not engage in merchandise and peddling or in any business aside from this one great work. And she then she talks about the charge given to Timothy. And she says, and uh, she says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. So we kind of touched on this at the beginning of this chapter, um, doing other work out, having, having a, a side job aside from the ministry. And um, we kind of spoke about this a little bit, but here she's very adamant. They should have no other work, no separate work, no separate interest aside from the great work of leading souls to the truth. And uh, I remember, you know, when you look at the word of God and when, when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to come away from the work that they did, you know, and they left their fishing and they left whatever occupations that they had to follow him. He said, come and follow me. And they, they, they left what they were doing previously. And so, and then also, you know, there's scripture that says a workman is worthy of his hire. And so we should be support, we as the members and the church should be supporting ministers so that they don't, and, and she also covered this in an earlier chapter in this book, that they should not have to feel like they have to go out and work to support their families, that the ministry should be supporting them sufficiently enough that they don't have to take up other jobs somewhere else to support their families. What you all think? You know, if, if we were as adamant about stewardship as God asked us to be, there wouldn't be a problem with the ministers having plenty. There wouldn't be a problem with the churches having plenty. There wouldn't be a problem with anyone in God's uh, family needing anything. But the problem is, it's hard to get people to understand the principle of stewardship. And so they tend to think, oh, I can just give a little bit and I don't want to support the pastor or whatever, whatever rationale they use. But if we would just stick with God's plan, systematic benevolence, tithe and offering, there would be so much in the church's uh, bank account, so to speak, mm -hmm. that it would be overflowing and there would never be a lack for any of God's work. And we have, come but you know, Elder Carol, I have heard members say, if if they don't do what I want them to do, and I don't like who's in this position or whatever, I'm not returning no tithes and stuff. And I, and you know, and I kind of look at them like that has nothing to do with your tithes and offering. That is supposed to be given to God. You don't have a say so what goes on other than you do what does said the Lord. And I try yep. to get this across to my one brother. And he just said, nope, not until the church starts doing what I, what I want. And I said, that's never going to happen. And he says, I don't re I'm not going to return them. Mm. Well, that's, you know. That's too bad. Well, he robbing God. Tell him that he robbing God. Tell him he's robbing God. Well, you tell him that he got a curse with a curse upon himself. He if he chooses yep. that rather than just give the tithe and offering himself, then it, that's his choice. And I guess my thing, too, is they still, you know, they still, use him as a as a, a deacon and I thought 
he's confessing to you guys that this ain't going to happen with him. And I'm like, you know, I'm not saying that he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be considered a deacon. I'm just saying with the, with what he's, what he's feeling inside, it's not lining up. And I told him, I said, well, when you get Bible studies, I said, do, do you encourage, you know, the person you studying with to return a faithful tithe and offering to the Lord? And he says, I'll tell them that, but I, I, if they ask me personally, I'm not going to do it because he's angry with some of the stuff that they've done. Well, he's just showing his lack of trust in God is what he's doing. Through all that, it's just a matter of him saying to himself, I don't trust God enough to do this. And also, it is, we are told that if ministers or leaders are not faithful in tithing and offering, they shouldn't be leaders. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think, too, that it's a, um, it's a good idea to have leadership, you know, in and they're not returning tithe and offer. You are the example for the church. You kind of set up there as an example mm-hmm. for the church. And we have gotten comfortable with this 20, 80 percent thing. Only 20 percent of the people do the work and return tithe and offering and the 80 percent do nothing and don't return tithe and offering. We've gotten comfortable with that. And that's what Lee's talking about when he says it's more than enough money. If you're looking at, at top, this, this small church and only 20 percent of the people are returning, maybe less than that. And they're managing to carry the whole church and all of the bills, et cetera, et cetera. So if they're carrying, let's say they carry everything and we're cutting, um, we're right there at balancing the budget right there. And But then you get the other 80%. Man, 80% and it's coming right. and, and you don't have to pay any, you don't have any expenses coming out of that 80% of the money. Yes, you can do a whole bunch with that. You know, you can do mm-hmm. a lot with it. Yeah, it's, it's true with every single church, every church. When you have, uh, they say that is the average, Lakita was saying 20% of the members are basically providing all the economic uh, power for the church. So if you've got uh, $100,000 coming into your church every year, well, multiply that by five. If everyone participated, you'd have half a million dollars in your church, that's $400,000 to do anything else you want to do with it because the first 100,000 takes care of all the church's bills. And people just have trouble seeing that. It sounds too impossible, but nothing's impossible with God, right? Mm -hmm. Amen. Right. Amen. Absolutely. Another thing too, if the Bible says, this is just, you know, restorative leaders, so we really believe in this. But if the Bible says that, you know, you have robbed me, and then we go to the Ten Commandments and we find that thou shalt not steal, then mm-hmm. are we saying that it's okay for 80% of our people to burn in hell? Mm. Is that the redu- is that where we're coming mm. to? That it's okay. It's mm. easier for me to face the idea that they'll burn in hell rather than me have an uncomfortable, maybe uncomfortable conversation with them about tithing offering. They may not actually understand what's going on. Well, but think about it like this too. There are only a certain, a very small number of people in the church who know who's not returning a faithful tithing offering. So to me, that responsibility falls on the ones who know. You you're, know? Absolutely, you're absolutely right. It falls on the responsibility. But as a rule in general, and this is really not a but. In general, you know, we all kind of understand that eighty percent of the people, the majority of the people, are not doing this. And so, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Let's not even limit it to tithing offering. We just finished talking about the health message. You know, what about studying the Bible? You know, we know that the majority of the people are not living a Christian life. 
and witnessing for Alvina, and we're satisfied to mm-hmm. accept that these people are not going to be saved because that's what it's saying. But you know, Lakita, we're too some some people are too scared to step out there and say. Sister, you know, maybe you should think of that this in a different way because of friendship. And they, they feel like they won't be a part of the cliques or whatever. And I said, instead of just saying, in the Bible, this is what does says the Lord. Could You know, maybe if you read it and ponder over it. But so many, like I said, so many people want to be in with the in crowd at the church to the outside people that you're trying to bring in. They're like, they're they're really not... I don't want to say that they lack friendliness toward them, but they really don't want to be associated with them either because they don't take to you and you're one of their uh, members of the church. True. True. Some of it boils down to this too. It, you know, the people that we call our friends or our family or our neighbors or whoever, if their house is on fire, aren't you going to go knock on the door and tell them? And sometimes I'll use this. Sometimes I'll say to people, in my job, if I knew that a train was behind you and you had your earbuds on and didn't hear the train coming, would you want me to push you off of the track, even though it's going to hurt, even though you might break your arm or leg, but it's not going to cut your head off your body or, or mangle you? Would you want me to push you? <laughs> and most people will say yes. And I will say to them, a train. You say most coming. people. Hello. What? Yeah, well, like all people. Yeah, everybody will say yes. And then I can simply say to them, a train is coming. Mm. And then they're going to ask me, well, how, Miss Carol? And then I can mm. share it with them. So, you know, most of it, it's, again, how mm. we present stuff to people. And the reason we're presenting it is critical. Mm-hmm. I like that, Makita. I like that a lot. I, I think, mm-hmm. think about oftentimes. I like that. The analogy of. I loved it. If you're, if you, <laughs> similar analogy is if you're in a building, a, a high rise building, mm-hmm. and you know, that the top floors are on fire. Mm-hmm. Would you would you say simply, oh, you know, uh, tell everybody, you know, building is on fire. Y'all need to just, you know, make your way to the elevator, make your way to the stairs, or whatever. Or would you be screaming and yelling, running through the, you know, the building? Get out! Get out! The place get is out. on fire. Yeah. If I didn't have yeah. laryngitis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I think I think circumstances determine, you know, how are we going to present this vital truth, this vital warning to people, you know, and, 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 and they're going to take their cue from us. It's like, it's almost, it's like, you know, if, if you go and you stand out on the street and you just start looking up, how many people will start looking up just because you started looking up mm-hmm. or running you know? or running or running or running, right. You start running. Yep. You start running and you just and you say run, or even you may not even say anything, you just start just running. running. <laughs> you know, and then everybody, other people start running with you. It reminds me of a Cedric the Entertainer joke. And he said, he said, people were running and he just took off running. He was running with them. And finally, when everybody he said, Well, who are we running from? <laughs> yeah, it happens like that. And um, I think I saw that same Cedric one where he told said to white people, if y'all see the black people run, you take off running too. Because <laughs> we just have a way of knowing something's bad about that. Right, right. He said, they said, what's, what, 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 what's going on over here? You just what, tell what, them, what, don't call the cop, please. <laughs> well, No, I have been in situations like that 
where you're in a group of people, if one person <laughs> takes off running, somehow everybody takes off running. Then after a few minutes, you look around and you do say, hey, what happened? We don't right. know. He right. ran, ran. Right. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Let's let's close this lesson out for now. We will pick up in two weeks uh, at the next paragraph. Um, Lee, what are we studying for next week? Uh, we're in the book Heaven and we're on chapter 10, where the title is Who Will Be in Heaven. Uh, we're down at paragraph, paragraph uh, 87.4 and the subtitle is the 144,000. So we'll read about that next week. Okay. And feel free to invite others to join us too. Heaven chapter 10. Say that one more time. Paragraph yeah. what? 87.4. And the subtitle is the 144,000. Okay. Lee? Mm-hmm. Am I invited? You're always invited, Alvina. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, next Sabbath is going to be May 1st. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, well, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. And uh, Lakita, would you pray, pray us out? Mm -hmm. Most honorable Father, in the blessed name of Jesus, we're just so grateful, Lord, that we are able to study your word. We thank you for your wisdom. You're a God and a great God and a mighty God. And we thank you, thankful that you um, impressed upon someone's heart and gave for all of these messages so that we may live better lives and, and live a more upright life before you, Father. Dear Father, we come confessing that we have not always lived up to the light that we have. So we ask that this week as we move forward that we you will impress upon our minds and give us the strength and holy boldness to live more closely and to give an answer to every man for um, the belief that is in us, dear Father. And then we thank you, dear Lord, because we know you have already done this thing for us. And so we ask to help us to act on uh, this belief and this trust and faith in faith of thee, Lord. Now, we, Lord, as we go about our separate ways, we ask that you'll be with each family member. You know that every person here is concerned about their children. Each person is concerned about their mother or father and, and those who are sick amongst them. Lord, we know that as we're going along that there's still continue to be social unrest and so, Lord, we ask that you be with those families and those members who are out there, people, individuals who are suffering as a result of some form of injustice. And we ask that you be with the leaders of this great country and that you're um, above all things, Father, that you would give us a holy bonus, a deep desire to serve, Lord, a deep desire. Give us that desire, like uh, Karen talked about, that we will proclaim the word, your house is on fire, your house is on fire so that others will come out and serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and praise you always. Amen. 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 And uh, we will see everyone next week. All right. Thank All you. right. All right.